God bless you guys. Good morning. Everybody's doing okay? No? I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, great. Okay, good. All right. Some, some are okay. Some are not. That's okay. I'll pray for you. But welcome to Swerve Church. Happy Father's Day to all the dads. Man, what a great time to be a dad as we celebrate dads. As you guys can see in the back, we have a beautifully decorated table. We got some gifts for the dads. We got some cake and we got uh, empanadas back there, some hot dogs and whatnot. So, man, don't you dare leave without grabbing something to eat, okay? Because that's back there as we celebrate dads on uh, on this day. Man, I really love, like Stephen mentioned, that we are um, going back into Ephesians and we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 10 through uh, 15. And so in honor of all you dads that are here today for you men, I thought it would be great that we would talk about something, you know, manly. Something like, something grisly, right? Something kind of uh, like war, like a good war movie, right? What guy doesn't like like a good war movie? Blood, guts, action, fighting, defending, honor, right? You guys like that stuff, right? Or you like like Disney princesses stuff? Oh, you know, okay. Oh, you like you like the blood, the guts, right? You like the war, fighting, defending, honor, protection, war. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And so it's Father's Day, so we didn't want to do a series on five ways to get in touch with your inner emotions. Okay, we weren't going to do that um, today. We're going to do something a little bit different. So how about a series on war, spiritual war, to be exact? That's what we're talking about. Today, in, in, this, uh, in this short series, it's only two weeks, we're going to be wrapping up the book of Ephesians. We're going to be finishing it. And uh, way back last year, we began marching through the book of Ephesians. Those of you that have been here for a while, you'll remember that. And we're going to conclude it this summer. As a refresher, I want, you guys, I want to remind you guys that Ephesians was written by Paul, right? This guy named Paul. This guy had an incredible life transformation where he basically went from terrorists, literally persecuting and murdering Christians... Um, to all of a sudden um, finding Jesus and being a herald for the gospel, messenger of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's an incredible transformation in this guy's life. And Paul was a missionary and a church planter. He would start churches, much like Swerve Church is a, a new church, a young church. Paul would go around and he would start new churches. He would preach the gospel. He would disciple new Christians. He would raise up leaders. And then he would go, leave to another city and do it all over again. This is what Paul was doing over and over again. Among the churches that he began to uh, help to begin, there was one in a city called Ephesus. That's why the book is called Ephesians. This letter was written to them. Um, Paul loved them dearly. And he writes, he writes them this letter that we are, are reading today. Um, in this first half of the letter, some of you guys will remember, it was deep in gospel theology, very rich gospel theology. That's where we learned that he said that we were dead. In our sin and in our trespasses, he says in, uh, in the first half of that letter in the book of Ephesians. He says, we were dead in our sin and our trespasses, but that in Christ we were made alive, right? In the second half of that letter, he goes into the practical implications of the gospel. He starts talking about how the gospel is fleshed out in our everyday lives. So he said things like that the gospel should compel us as believers to pursue unity, right? To pursue harmony to be together, to be in unity. He said the gospel does that. He mentioned that there should be no sexual immorality and impurity amongst believers. He mentioned that as well. In other words, that the gospel changes us from the inside out. If you guys remember, we did a series called This Is Us. And that's when Paul was talking about uh, love and marriage, um, parenting and work. So the gospel even impacts the way um, we work in our, in our marriages, in, in our marriage union, in, the, in our relationships with our kids, 
the relationship with your boss, right, that you may or may not like. The gospel compels us to live that out in a different way. Now, in the passage that we're going to be looking at today, Paul is going to continue the conversation about the practicality of the gospel. But he will do so on, the to- on a topic that perhaps you've never considered. Um, for the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare, okay? Now, there's three ways that you can look at this topic. Maybe everybody that's here, you might fall into one of these three categories. Um, uh, here's, here's one category. You might think the devil doesn't exist. There is no devil, right? If this is you, uh, these people think that there is no such thing as spiritual warfare. Um, the devil and his demons, they don't exist. It's akin to a fairy tale, kind of like the Easter Bunny or Santa Claus, right? Like you don't believe in the tooth fairy, right? So you don't believe in, in the devil and his demons and such. So maybe you fall into that category, that the devil doesn't exist. Now, you may fall into this category, that there's a demon under every rock, right? You, you, everybody knows those people, right? There's a demon under every rock. These are the people that believe that the devil is everywhere and everything. Was that him? Was he behind me? Right? You think you think that he's like everywhere around you. And when you get a flat tire, I rebuke that devil in that flat tire. Right? You know those people? You catch a cold, right? You're like, that's the devil. The devil, the devil gave you that cold, right? When you feel a chill on the hairs on the back of your neck. Oh, you get scared. The devil is somewhere around here, right? There's a devil under every rock. So maybe... Maybe you fall in the category that, nah, the devil doesn't exist. That's a fairy tale just like the two fairy. Or there's a devil under every rock. Or here's the third category. This is where I pray that we would all get into this. A healthy biblical view of spiritual warfare. This is where I pray that we would find ourselves today. As we study the, the book of Ephesians chapter 6. And as we look into all this, let's see what the Bible teaches about this. So that we don't have to be scared about it and look for it under every rock, under every corner, every crevice. And we can be prepared. And we can see that God's equipped us as followers of Jesus to be able to do battle in this war. Amen? All right. Here's the first thing that Paul's going to tell us, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. He tells us this, be strong in the Lord. Uh, you want to fill in the first blank there in your notes if you want to. It's a great way to follow along um, in today's message. Be strong in the Lord. He says it this way, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. If you have your Bibles, it's there and it's also on the screen or in your notes. It says this. Finally, be strengthened. He says finally, by the way, because he's finishing up the letter. You guys remember that? All right. So we're towards the end of the chapter. God bless you. And, and so he's in he's finishing up. He's wrapping up the letter. So he says, finally, you know, after all this, you know, we've been going through finally be strengthened by the Lord and by whose vast strength? His his vast strength. Uh, did you guys ever get stuck trying to open up a pickle jar? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Right, you ever get stuck, you know, when it's really when it's really tight and it's hard to pop it open? And one time Melissa was trying to open up a jar or something. I don't remember what it was. And she was having a hard time. She was having a tough time trying to open it. She kept trying until she was like, like red in the face, you know, trying to open it. And she couldn't do it. Those things are tough. You guys know this, right? Come on. It's, it's not just her. Uh, you know, we all struggle with that. Or the medicine is childproof, but it's really like dummy proof and you can't get to it, right? But when she exhausted all her strength and she just couldn't do it anymore, she finally gave me the jar. And she said, can you please open it for me? And as the mighty, all-powerful jar opener, I was like, of course, sweetheart. Let, let me, of course. You, you've exhausted all your resources. You've, you've exhausted all your strength. Give it to the he-man of a husband that you married. And I'm going to open. So with my lion-sized strength and my gorilla-like grip, I just pop, popped it open and I, and I saved the day. It was pickles for everybody, right? And I gave it back to her. You see, guys, we serve 
a strong God. He is a mighty God. He is the mighty pickle jar opener. You know, he's, he's the mighty God. In fact, one of the attributes of God is that he is omnipotent, which means that he is all-powerful. And when it comes especially to spiritual warfare, we need a strong God who can strengthen us and who is strong for us, right? Especially when it comes to this topic of spiritual warfare. Too often, guys, we walk around defeated. We walk around defeated because we attempt to walk in our own might and in our own strength. We try to do everything in our own strength. And guess what? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. The pickle jar does not open. We remain stuck because we're walking in our own strength. And I've seen too many people for far too long, they're stuck in an area in their life. They're stuck spiritually. They're struggling with a temptation oftentimes because we're trying to do this in our own strength. And we just cannot do it. We need to tap into the strength of God. We need to be strengthened by Him. Now, this is what the world preaches. The, pre- the world preaches this, that, that, you know, that, that we have self-help. This is why when you go to the bookstore, one of the largest sections of the bookstore is what? The self-help section, right? You guys ever realize that? If you go to a bookstore, the, the world teaches you need self-help, you need positive self-talk, get in tune with your, with your inner chi, right? And you can just find that positive energy and yoga your way out of any situation, right? That's what, kind of what the world teaches. But we, we've been taught to do life in our own strength, and it just doesn't work. And this is especially true when it comes to our spirituality, our spiritual warfare, which Paul is about to go into detail in the sentences to come. We cannot do battle. We cannot wage war. We cannot live on our own strength, but in His vast strength. In His vast strength. For some of you, you've been stuck, and this is the word that you needed to hear today. You can pack up and go home because this is what you came for. This is what you paid the price of that mission. Be here to hear this. You needed to hear this word because you feel like you've been kicking the air. Right? Like you ain't going nowhere. Like you're always defeated. Like you're always down. You need to be strong in the Lord by His vast strength. You cannot do it on your own. You cannot. You need the Lord. You can't do it on your own. But in His vast strength. Here's the second thing that Paul says. The second fill in the blank there in your notes is that we are in war. We are in war. He says it this way. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11 and 12. Put on the full what? The full armor of God so that you can stand against, say that word right there, against what? Against the schemes of the devil. Would you guys circle the word schemes and then underline of the devil? For our struggle, check this out. Our struggle, what is it for? It's it's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens as we are in a war guys we are in a war whether you want to believe it or not there is a war for your souls as as god and his angels are real so is the devil and his demons and we have a very real spiritual enemy who is tirelessly scheming after you that's why i ask you guys to circle that world he's scheming he's scheming He's tirelessly scheming and he's planning and he's strategizing and he's executing plans to destroy you. This is why Paul says to stand against the schemes of the devil because he's scheming against you. Maybe you think to yourself, oh, come on, Danny, are you you kidding me? You can't believe in this stuff, right? 
Do you believe in the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus too? Did they get you with that one? Did mom forget to tell you that that was fake? You know, that, you, maybe that's what you think. If you're here today, and I tell you, I tell you this, what better strategy would our spiritual enemy have than to make you believe that he doesn't exist? What better strategy could he have than to convince you that he's not even real? Because then you have nothing to worry about, right? What's interesting is that uh, this week, Dustin and I, we were hanging out. We were at a coffee shop not too far from here, actually. And uh, we ordered our coffee. We sat down uh, on the couch there. And, and right there was, a, there was like a, a little coffee table right there. We sat down on the couch. And, uh, and Dustin's thumbing through this book. I'm like, what is that? Look at the cover. It w- can you guys guess what the book was all about? It was a book all about demons. It was a demon book, tarot, cards, and it kind of like explaining to you about the different uh, the demons, the different tarot cards. It was a book about the occult right here in the coffee shop, in plain sight, outside for everybody to read, you know. Now, if you're here today and, and you don't believe, you know, the, the devil, the demons, whatever, well, you know, somebody at this coffee shop does. Enough to have a book to, to read up and to study on the different spirits and demons that they can conjure up. Think about that for a second, guys. Paul says in this passage, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Which means that there's a spiritual war that's happening in the unseen. You you cannot see it with these eyes. There's a spiritual war that's going on in the unseen world that is raging. Even now, as we speak and as we open up God's Word, as we study the Bible, the, the enemy is busy right now. He's hard at work right now attempting to destroy marriages. He's trying to influence children to rebel against their parents. He's creating division and disunity as we speak. He's confusing. He's speaking lies. He's whispering, even right now. And Paul, uh, this is a great reminder. I love that Paul says this. Uh, If you didn't circle or underline it, that it's not against flesh and blood. I love that he mentioned this because it's a great reminder to us as well. That guess what? We're not at war with one another. Because our war... It's not against flesh and blood. So that means that we're not at war with one another. We're not at war with our brother or our sister. We're not at war. We're not at war with not even our rebellious friends or our rebellious family, those that don't follow Christ. We're not at war with them. We're not at war with the church across the street or down the corner or around the block. We're not at war with any of them. What an ingenious tactic that the enemy has to put us up against each other, to have us war against one another. To have us war against brother, sister, to war against other churches in the neighborhood. What an ingenious tactic. But that's not what the war is against. It's not against flesh and blood. And all over the world, it's so unfortunate, and maybe even in this room, there are people that are holding grudges. There are people that have, they have jealousy. There's people that are grasping into bitterness. They're grasping onto resentment in their hearts. And the enemy is having a field day. He's laughing it up. <laughs> Look what I got them to do. I got them to be angry, to be jealous, to covet, to hold bitterness, to be resentful about one another. He's having a field day because he's taking the war off of himself and put it against each other. And he's having a field day. Make no mistake, guys. We are in a war. But it's not against each other. It's not against one another. It's not against the church across the street. It's not against those rebellious family members or friends. No. Paul said... It's against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers of darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. It's an unseen 
This, this is happening around us in the spiritual realm that we just cannot understand. So what do we do, guys? What do we do if we're in war? If we're in war, what's our next step? How do we defend ourselves? Well, luckily for us, we got a couple more verses that we can go through. We do this. We Number three in your notes, we suit up for war. We suit up for war. He says it this way, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. For this reason, take up the what? Take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to, say that word right there too, resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything to take your stand. So what do we do? We're in a spiritual war. Do we cower in fear? Do we curl up in the corner in a fetal position, sucking our thumb and crying, Mama, come save me? Is that what we say? Is that what we do? Quite the opposite. At least according to Paul, we suit up for war. We suit up for war. Paul says, put on the full armor of God. Last week, uh, we were able to go uh, roller skating. Uh, we went roller skating somewhere in Long Island, whatever, really far away. It was a lot of fun. I hadn't rollerbladed since I was like a kid, you know, since I was in high school probably. Uh, but you guys know what was super interesting? It, you know, if you go roller skating all the time, this is probably common sense to you guys. But when we went in, they had everybody you go rent your skates. They made everybody put something on with the roller skates. They made everybody wear wrist guards. Everybody had to, and it was provided for free. They said, no, no, you got to put this on. And they, they made sure every they got on the loudspeaker. Guys, if you don't have your wrist guards, please come out and get off the floor. You got to put on your wrist guards. They made that announcement several times while we were over there. Now, they knew that if you went to roller skate, you were going to go to war, right? They knew that if you're going to go roller skate, you're going to war against the floor, right? That's where you're going to, you're going to war against that floor. And so you got to make sure you're armed and ready for battle, right? right? And so you needed to do, you You better be suited. And guess what? There's a lot of people that needed it, honestly, that night, you know, right? Because people were falling down, falling all the time. In fact, when I was young and I used to rollerblade, I had the whole shebang. Like I had the, the elbow pads, I had the knee pads, the wrist guards, the helmet, you know, the neck brace. I didn't have that. But, you know, I had, I had the whole I had the whole deal. And I was making sure, you know, that I was going to war against cement and I was going to win that war, right? I wanted to make sure that I was that we were ready for war. Paul is telling us, that you have to be, in this spiritual war, against our enemy, we have to be suited up. You have to be ready. We have to be prepared against the schemes of the enemy. So what components? What components are a part of the armor of God? What is it made of? What, what, how, what do we suit up? What do we wear? What does it look like? Paul is going to share with us a few items that we have to wear, a few of these things that we're going to put on. And today we're going to look at three. And the next week, Stephen's going to help us wrap the series up. And go over a few more. Here's the first one. Now, real quick, I, this is a sidebar because it's something that bothers me so much. I have to say this. If you went to church very long, then you probably heard a lot of sermons about this, about the armor of God or whatever. Even as a kid, you know, there's songs about it. You sing songs, blah, 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 whatever. But I, I wanted to say this. A lot of times, the times I've heard messages, and maybe maybe you didn't hear it this way, but I did. You know, a lot of the times that I've heard messages, they get caught up on the item. And so you go to church and you hear a message about a belt. And you hear a message about the breastplate, and you hear a message about a helmet and a sword, right? And, you know, and they make the sermon about the item that, you, that you're putting on. And I really don't, I think we miss the point if we make it all about the breastplate and the shoe, right? Like, I think we miss that. I think we got to get behind what he's talking about. This is a comparison. This is, this is uh, somewhat poetic, kind of the way that Paul is saying it. Here's a simile. He's saying it's like this. Does that make sense? So I'm not going to give you... The item, I'm going to give you what it is. You ready? Here's the first thing. Number one is truth. First thing we need to do is put on truth. Truth. He says it this way 
Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist. Right, don't go to Minimax. Don't go to Shoppers World trying to find this belt. It's not there. Okay, it's not there. It's like a belt. Truth. We're putting on truth. Two weeks ago, uh, I had a conversation. We were in a, in a group conversation, and they were talking about religion and church and truth. And I'm just sitting back. I was the young guy in the group. Everybody was much older than me. And so I'm just letting them have a dialogue. You know, some of them were Christian. Other ones were definitely not. And someone spoke up, and they said, you know, this is what I believe. What's true for you is true for you. And what's true for me is true for me. He said, all religions are the same thing. You guys ever heard anybody say that? All religions are the same thing. And then he said this. It's like a river. You know, rivers are really long. If I'm at the top and I'm drinking from the river, and then you're in the middle of the river and you're drinking from that river, and somebody's at the bottom of that and they're drinking from that river, it's all flowing from the same place. It's all going to the same place. We're all drinking the same Kool-Aid. And it's all the same. So you might believe in this God. You might believe in several gods. You might believe in Buddha or Hindu or whatever, the Hindu God. You might believe in whatever, or, or you may be atheistic, right? But it's all the same thing. You're all drinking the same thing, and it all means the same thing, as long as you, you drink from the river, right? That was what he was saying. And he isn't the only person to think that way. I've heard that said many, many times. And uh, there, there are many prominent artists, you know, celebrities, influencers that believe the very same thing. They say that same thing. And ultimately what they're saying is a variation of the following. That either multiple, maybe there's multiple truths, and everyone is right, or there's no truths and your truth is still right because there's no truth. So it doesn't matter. You're still right, right? And so it's a variation of kind of one of those things. This is a very popular belief among skeptics today. And that's why Paul says, no, 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 no. You need to wear truth. You need to wear truth around because we have the truth, right? There's not multiple truths. There are million false ideologies that are going to war against your mind, against your emotions, against your heart. But you see, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Guys, truth is exclusive. That means truth is true, and you can't add anything to it. I can't tell you that one plus one is two, and you say, no, 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 Danny, I believe it's three. And then you say, no, I think it's 4.5. Well, one person is right, right? Religion, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to this, it's singular because everybody's at war against each other, right? Christianity says that Jesus is the only way. And so if Jesus is the only way, Buddha can't be another way, right? Muhammad's way can't be another way, right? Because Christianity says, no, this is the way. So just by its very nature, because we make a truth claim, it cannot be all-inclusive because truth by itself is exclusive. Does that make sense, guys? It's not logical to say that there's multiple truths. That doesn't make sense. Truth is exclusive. It's singular. It's one truth. Okay? It's one truth. And that's kind of the way it is. And so that's why Paul says we need truth. We need to put truth because there's a bunch of ideologies that are going to war against our minds, right? So we need to understand. We need to put on truth. Here's the second thing he says. Righteousness. We need righteousness. He says it this way. I'll give you guys a second. That's a long word to write. How do you spell that? I don't really know. Maybe I wrote it wrong. Don't copy that. I don't know. All right, righteousness. Okay, you got it? Okay, here's the verse. Ephesians 6.14 says this. Stand therefore with the truth like belt around your waist. Righteousness like armor on your chest. This righteousness 
is not our righteousness that he's talking about, but rather the righteousness that's given to us through Christ. Guys, if I were to tell you, come up with a word that describes yourself. Come up with an adjective. You know what you wouldn't say? Uh, righteous. Yeah, I think that's a good one. Right, you can put that down. I'm righteous. You wouldn't describe yourself as that, right? You wouldn't describe yourself as righteous. You wouldn't give yourself that term. And this is true for every single one of us, me included. We learn from the Bible that before a holy and a perfect God, no one is righteous. In other words, no one is blameless. No one, no one is sinless. No one is perfect. The Bible says we are all sinners. We all fall short of God's perfection. And that sin eternally separates us from God. And the Bible teaches us that the wages of sin is what? The wages of sin is? Is death. What our sin deserves is death. That's what we deserve. So then if we're not righteous, then how do we put on righteousness? How do we put this on? Well, for many people, they believe the way you do that is uh, by making yourself righteous. Which means, you know, this is what religion teaches for the most part. Hey, be a good person. How many little old ladies can you help across the street today? How much can you give to charity? How, mu how much good works can you do? Can you live a better life? Can you live a more moral life? That's how you put on righteousness. That's, that's what I'm, I'm telling you guys. Like a bunch of people believe. The majority of the world believes this. Be a good person and you can be righteous. But only in Christianity. This is what religion. Religion says you reach out to God. Be good. Reach out to him. Do good works. Give to charity. Let me get to God. Let me try to reach out to him. Only in Christianity do we see God looking down at us and say, Oh, bendito, they, they can't do it. I'm going to come down on my own. Creator God enters His creation. He becomes one of us in the form of Jesus. God becomes man. And Jesus fulfills the law. He lives a righteous and sinless life. But He dies a sinner's death. The death that you and I deserve. He dies a sinner's death in our place, and he crushes the head of Satan. He conquers Satan's sin and death and the, and the grave, and he resurrects. And in his death, we receive forgiveness of sin. And in his life, we receive newness of life. So where our sin deserves death, we don't get what we deserve. What do we get instead? We get a great exchange. We get our unrighteousness is taken off of us, and get, guess what we can put on? We can put on righteousness. Not because we're righteous, but because He is. And we can wear Christ's righteousness. That's how you can wear that armor. You put on Christ's righteousness. When the enemy comes and he, he knocks at your door, hey man, you're, you're good for nothing. You're not worth anything. You're not valuable. You're a sinner. You're going to see me real soon. We're going to hang out a lot of time in, in hell soon. You remind them, no, no, no. I'm righteous because of Christ. I put on Christ's righteousness. Okay, here's the third and last thing. Gospel of peace. Gospel of peace. He says it this way, Ephesians chapter 6, 14 and 15. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, verse 15, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. The peace, this piece of the armor is so important. I need you guys to listen in, okay? Listen to this part. We must be rooted and found it upon the gospel. We must stand firmly upon the gospel. You know, when we set out to plant this church, we said we're going to plant a life-giving, gospel-centered church. That's what we wanted to become. That's what we're continuing to plant. That's what we're continuing to do. Ultimately, as followers of Jesus, this is all we have, guys. 
All we have is the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's so unfortunate that for many, including churches, including ministries, they have not found it. They have not rooted their lives on the gospel of Jesus. And when you're not rooted in the gospel, this is when we begin to create and follow false gospels. For example, the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospels, you know why Jesus died on the cross? He died to make me rich. So that I can have a Rolls Royce, so I can drive a Beamer, so I can have a big house, so I can have... That's why Jesus died, so he can make me rich, right? That, that's the prosperity gospel. There's a, there's a works-based gospel, which, which means that we have to work harder to gain God's approval. We have to do more good works. We have to live a moral life in order so that we can reach God. Or the poverty gospel. You know what that is? Which is, oh man, I have to get rid of all my earthly possessions. I have to live a vow. I have to vow a life of poverty. I have to let go of everything. I have to be completely broke and poor and borderline homeless so that I can be loved and obedient to God. Those are all false gospels. Right? But when we look to Christ, when we understand the gospel, we don't have to fall for these false gospels. Instead, we can build upon a solid foundation the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only in Jesus can we find forgiveness of sin. Only in Jesus do we find newness of life. Only in Jesus do we receive the promise of salvation that one day we will be able to be in the presence of God when there will be no more pain, there will be no more tears, and we will spend all eternity with God in heaven only with Jesus. And if you're here today and your foundation is rocky, maybe you've been following some other ideologies, or maybe you know you were trying to live religiously before God so that you can try to earn His favor, so you can try to do, do more good deeds. Or maybe you rejected Jesus altogether and now you see your need for Jesus. Then I want to invite you today. I want to invite you today to make a decision to get off of the foundation that you have laid for yourself and to get on the foundation of Jesus Christ. That's the invitation I want to open to you today. If you haven't done so, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. If you're here today and you haven't made that decision, if everybody would take out their connection cards real quick, fill that out real quick if you haven't done so yet, because in just a moment, you're going to have an opportunity to turn that in. But on the back, there's some next steps. If you haven't made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, then your next step is to do that today. And I want to encourage you to do that today. I'm not forcing you. You're not being coerced to do that. You make that decision. If you haven't done that, put your faith in Jesus. Don't build upon another foundation. Build it upon Jesus. Put on. The full armor of God. Would you guys join me in prayer? God, as I pray, um, Lord, as we think about all these things that we've just spoken about, uh, Lord, I, I acknowledge and I understand that we are in a war. God, we are, we are in a war. And it's not against flesh and blood. It's not against each other. But it's against our spiritual enemy. And God, we're not going to cower in fear. We're not going to be afraid. God, we're going to put on the full armor of God. And so, God, I pray that you would help us today. Lord, as we talk about truth, Lord, some of us are seeking truth. You know, we're confused. We don't know. So, God, I just pray you would send your spirit to enlighten, to open minds, and to help us see your truth, to help us live in that truth. In a world that is full of so many false ideologies, God, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to really take grasp of the truth, Lord, and that we would sell out to that, that we would live wholeheartedly to that. God, I just pray, uh, Lord, that you would give us your righteousness. Lord, forgive us. When we try to live out our own righteousness, when we're thinking that we can earn your favor, that we can earn salvation, when, as Paul said, our good works are as filthy rags. God, I just pray that we would put on the righteousness of Christ. And thank you for sending Jesus to die in our place so that we can be considered righteous before you. And God, I pray for the gospel of peace, 
Lord, as we found our lives, our everything upon the gospel, God, I pray that we would stay firm on that. Lord, that we wouldn't stray to the left or to the right. That we would be constantly um, on and focused into and founded upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Amen.